Good afternoon. This is Debbie Q with The Right Show. All things strange and unusual, especially in reference to a death. Today I will be talking about, well, this isn't a strange death, strange deaths as much as they are very sad. And I'm talking about Stephanie Brown, others, and the I-5 killer, the I-5 strangler. The I-5 killer is actually in reference to Randy Woodfield, he was on he was a Green Bay Packer or he was a draft pick anyway. And Ann Rule wrote about him years ago. He was the I Fi killer. And when I heard of the I Fi Strangler, I was like, Isn't that Randy Woodfield? He killed up to forty four people. He he's seventy one, he's still alive. He operated in the 70s, like all the other infamous killers did. You know, that was a time when they had such few tools to catch people with. It was really easy, especially if you're running state to state, hell, like Bundy was. But this Woodfield, he was he was a good-looking guy. So, you know, he was charismatic, and I guess that's why it was easy for him to get to the women. He was a motherfucker. He drove a gold Volkswagen Beetle. Wow, they must have confused him with Bundy at some point. Yeah, when he when he was interviewed, he told detectives I he'd never rape a girl. He said I didn't have to. They wanted me. Damn, I'm surprised he isn't more famous. I, I mean, not that that would be good. I'm just surprised because they make such a big deal out of Bundy. What? I don't know Bundy really took serial killer and he made it a whole nother thing. So anyway, this guy was not who they were talking about. The I-Fi Strangler is entirely different. Let's start with, this is the right shoe. I have a website that I haven't been tending to. I had a lot of issues this past year. It's just been uh, crazy. I am... just doing the podcast, and I would love to give a shout-out to Marissa Bones. Uh, She's on Instagram. She has a couple Instagram feeds. She's very helpful and to to me during my time of terror. Lindsay from Stolen From Me by Lindsay. She's on YouTube. It's a great channel, very popular. And Lyndon, of course, from Murder at Bedtime and Lyndon, we were actually talking about doing another podcast together. I noticed that I, you know, when I look at my numbers, he is consistently rated very high in my podcast. Number one across YouTube, everything. Well, is the first one, which was Matthew Larson, but that's because it's the first one. The, The first one outside of that, the for the top one is um the Diane Schuler case which i find fascinating because people no matter what they say she was a drunk whatever they will truly never know what happened to her it's it's uh, Diane Schuler was like a type a personality she was all across the board she was an amazing woman from all accounts people still stick up for her even i don't have all my if you want to listen to all my podcasts they're on every podcasting platform i have a lot of them on the on the youtube but i man it's just so hard for me to 
I'm just struggling right now. So I get, I can get out a podcast, but the YouTube thing is still a little bit tough for me. So I'm trying. I'm trying. Diane Schuller was just like, and then she took, she left a bacant one day, had her nieces in the back, and then she just, she was on the Taconic Park Freeway, and she just floored it. And people said she had a determined, straight look on her face. Like, she wasn't weaving. She wasn't drunk or flailing about. And people all during the day had seen her, and they were like, she wasn't drunk. I don't know. I don't know how you can say this person's drunk or not, but I don't know. I, it's just she killed eight people, her three nieces included, during time that she was driving you know full speed backwards on the taconic freeway and it's just mind-blowing that story there's something wrong with aunt diane it's on prime amazon prime it's truly terrifying it's a terrifying story but that's my top rated one but outside of that linden is right up there like the rachel nacal case that was a good one he carried me through that one because i was lost it was so complex so anyway those are my shout outs today and without further ado we are going to go talk about stephanie brown now if you're looking for sources for this there's a great Forensic Files episode, a neatly compact. I don't know how Forensic Files puts 22 minutes of such riveting stuff. Forensic Files 2 is on. I can't remember. That. Let me see what the host's name Because he's not bad. And to take on that after he was the Peter Thomas, he was the greatest ever. I mean, he there's no narrator that beats Peter Thomas, in my opinion, uh, Robert Stack is close with Unsolved Mysteries. But, man, he is the just his voice is amazing so you get this other guy he comes on for forensic files too bill camp i mean and he really did himself you know he just took that on and that's cool I, I, he, he sounds you know i like forensic files too i love it um it's a great show so check that out it's on hln network i really like it it's a good show but this is forensic files one okay so forensic files one had not for everyone that was uh the name of the story it was stephanie brown and the i-5 killer paul azan did a piece about it and there's a book called trace evidence that also these were the three that i used to go over this case um stephanie brown was at a was she lived in california and she was 19 years old she was at a her mom said the last time she saw her was on a Monday with laundry. She just did her laundry. Her mom said goodbye. They said, I love you. And she left. Her mom didn't see her again after that. And here her friend said she had come over. They, she dropped them off and it was an unfamiliar place. They told her, go back on I-5 North. And they said, don't take I-5 South or you're going to get lost. Well, when they found her car... It was going I-5 South, so she must have gotten lost. Now, this is before cell phones. You know, cell phones are such a great tool because not only could you sit in your car, you could call AAA, you can wait there, or you can call whoever, your friend, whoever. You don't have to answer the, you don't have to look outside and see some strange guy and scare, you know, it's terrible. I can't imagine what was going through this poor girl's mind because they found her 
It was a while later because her body was decomposed pretty badly. They found her on the side. A fisherman had found her in an irrigation ditch, and she had been strangled. Her hair had been cut, which the investigators at the time thought was unusual. Why was that done? From the the way it looked, it, it said she must have been in the car, most likely alive for the duration of that ride to this dark, desolate, isolated place. He said someone really took the time to take her out of the way. Now that's so horrifying to think about a young girl in the car knowing she's probably going to her death because what is the first thing they tell you? Never let a person take you to another place. The second place is going to be the place that you you die. You know, never go outside of where you are. I mean, back then things were different. I mean, I I did. I, I hitchhiked a lot in the 80s. I never, I had one weird incident with a state trooper of all people. I mean, he was dressed as a state trooper, who know. But um, outside of that, people were pretty nice. I never ran into trouble, but I wouldn't, oh God, I would, I never would do that. The next case that comes up is this Charmaine Sova. And this one, I think, bothered me the most of all because the poor mother, the guilt that she must have felt after this happened had to be unimaginable. Charmaine and her mother were driving. I think they either went to the mall or the movies, and they were driving back. They Their car breaks down. A guy pulls up, and Charmaine says, yeah, like we were driving home, and my car just broke down. I don't know what to do. So he says, well, you can get in, but there's not room for both of you. It's a two-seater. It's a sports car, so I can only take one of you. So she gets out and into the car. I mean, that's that's a tough decision. I I don't know how that sucks. I mean, what are you supposed to do, and how are you to know? I feel so bad for both of them. I mean, that's nuts. She never saw her daughter again. Charmaine Sova was found three months later, badly decomposed, but they were able to tell from her dental records that it was her. She had also been tied up, strangled, and her clothes were cut in a bizarre way. The person who did this took the time to cut Charmaine's clothes. Oh, that just breaks my heart. They find another body strangled, hogtied, and when they put everything together, they find out it was a girl named Laura Hedick. She had been a prostitute. Her and her boyfriend had been really, I guess, addicted to drugs. And she agreed to prostitution as a way to make money to get drugs. So she got into a car with a guy that the boyfriend said she got into a car with a guy, took off. It was a white male in his 40s. The boyfriend's name was Jim... Jim Diggers. Now, when they gave Jim Diggers a polygraph, he failed it. So that made investigators like, what does this guy have to do with these strangulations? I mean, ultimately, they found out that he didn't have anything to do with it. But at the time, it was suspicious. I know polygraphs aren't accepted in court. Homicide investigators, they they take note of if a person failed or passed a polygraph test, I mean, they say like, it's not, you know, there is ways to mess with it and they don't, it doesn't hold up in court, but 
I don't know, they they take notice of whether a person failed or passed it, and they believe in that. So when a person fails it, it really goes, it's such a negative strike against them. They kept checking these cars, and there was nothing wrong with the cars. It was just they they would find the car, you know, they would there would either be a missing report or they would find the dead body, and there was consistent triangulations with clothes cut in non-functional ways, the victim hogtied or their hair cut. They knew that they, and it was like always on I-5 or it started to also go into uh, the Sacramento area of where the prostitutes hung out. So they knew they, they had a problem. They, they actually sent police officers in cars and they would go up and down I-5 or into where the prostitutes were to try to find this guy. Um, they noticed that there was nylon rope. Uh, you know, they, the things that they took into account, like it, they turned out that the rope was parachute cords. Um, and the guy seemed to always bring scissors with him. And, and you know, he would cut. That's how you cut into their. I mean, so this is going on. Then they had a couple, they just had, there was a Karen Finch, I-5, no issues with the car, but again, she was duct taped the whole nine yards. Like, this guy was obviously doing a ritual. They knew back then, but they just, again, they didn't have the tools that they have now. I mean, sometimes all they could get would be a blood type. Dorothy Frackenpole was a 17-year-old runaway. She was found near Highway 50 near Lake Tahoe. She was also found with the nylon cord, strangled. Same thing. In fact, later on, it would be Darcy Frackenpole that he would get convicted for. Again, back then, there wasn't much they could do, so I guess Darcy had enough material on her that they were able to get enough evidence that it was this one guy. The only thing that would happen that would stray, and this is so typical of serial killers, they seem to be okay. Now, most of them, there's ones that stray outside of this, like the BTK and the Golden State Killer, which weren't caught for years. But even even BTK starts to make a mistake that puts him in this frenzied state, I would call all these like Ted Bundy in Florida, and this is when and the Zodiac Killer, I think, went to a frenzied state, but he stopped himself, and that's why he was never caught. He he goes up to a taxi cab driver and kills him, but people witnessed it, and he saw them. This is they go through this thing where they kill and kill, and then all of a sudden they they go crazy, like they. They just can't, can't barely help themselves. And that's what happened with Deborah Guffey. She was a prostitute in downtown Sacramento. Uh, a white male in his 40s, white car. He comes up to her and she said he looked, you know, he, there was nothing eerie or creepy about him. He just looked like a regular guy. He, he pulls over and he asks, like, do you want to get in the car? And she says, yes. Well, the minute they park... He slams her head into the dashboard, her face. And she's like, oh, my God. So she gets out and runs. 
Now she escapes. That's was their one big break. The cop was right behind them. A cop was right behind them. And he saw this and he pulled him over immediately. And there was a guy in a car named Roger Kibbe. So with Deborah Guffey, they found the I-5 killer and it was Roger Kibbe. He had a, a, he was married. He had a daughter from a previous marriage. And this guy was a real fucking piece of work. He was arrested in 1988. And that was after him and Deborah Guffey got into that scuffle. He uh, he took a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty. The, originally, he was just hit for frack and pole, but he did get 25 years to life. But I guess to continue that sentence, in ni- 2009, he was sentenced to additional six life sentences for the murders of Laura Hedick, that was the prostitute with her boyfriend, Barbara Ann Scott, Stephanie Brown, Charmaine Sabra, Catherine Kelly Quinones, and Lou Ellen Burley. Karen Finch fought back. They they determined the one lady who they found on the car on I-5 with no issues, and then they found Karen Finch. They found out that she must have fought back because... And this was the one time when he got, he must have got pissed. They, he took the scissors and stabbed her with them instead of strangling her. But they could tell it was him by the way that the, the clothes were cut and her hair was cut just like all the others. She had been stabbed with the scissors. So she apparently fought back. And that was the one time he didn't strangle somebody. He cut off most of the hair to remove the duct tape before leaving the scene, but it, it was done in such... He always did things the same way, with the scissors, the hair, the duct tape, all of that, and he would cut the clothes so specifically. The known victims were Lou Louis Ellen Burley. That was in 1977. That was before his other victims. Louis Ellen Burley was 21, and she was killed in 1977. The next killing was Laura Hedick in 1986. Barbara Ann Scott was 1986. Stephanie Brown was 1986. Charmaine Sabra was 1986. Catherine Kelly Quinones was 1986. Karen Finch was 1987, and then Darcy Frackenpole was 1987. Originally, they only got him for Darcy. Now, what happened, I did an episode years ago, or months ago, about uh, this guy. He was a real dickhead. Brenda Schaefer, who was killed by this guy, Mel Ignato. I, I, somebody said I was pronouncing that wrong, but I don't know how they pronounce it, Mel Ignatow. Either way, this guy killed this woman, Brenda Schaefer, and he got total karma because in his 70s, he was alone in his apartment. He fell into a glass table, and the shards of glass cut him, and he spent like an hour. They said they could hear him just banging around up there for a long time, and he fell into the wall. What had happened was he died. He bled to death on the floor, so that was true karma. Well, this is another case of karma, because what happened to Roger Kibbe? He was in jail. He did that plea deal so he'd get out of the death penalty. It was, he was in jail all that time since, God, he must have been convicted 1991. So he was in jail 
for 30 years. Suddenly, he gets this cellmate, Jason Budrow, who said he used the dark arts to kill Roger Kibbe. And he strangled him to death in his cell. He said he, he couldn't wait to do it. He was planning on doing it. He said, I went with the specific intent to, he said, I didn't want a roommate for the rest of my prison life because he, he was already in jail. This Jason was already in jail f for the rest of his life for a previous murder. And he went in jail in the room with Roger Kibbe with the specific intent to murder him at some point. He said he hoped he avenged the seven victims, it was eight, and the dark arts in hopes that their souls would be freed when he strangled them. He carved a pentagram into his chest and he strangled the 81-year-old man using a, a chokehold. Um, I think he got another life in prison for that, but I don't think it meant nothing to him. Uh, his family, the families were thrilled because they said he got what he deserved. You know, I, I can't say that I blame him. I would feel the same way if it was my family member. That was the I-5 Strangler. Um, it wasn't a long one, but I just found it. I couldn't believe when I looked it up and they said he had been strangled to death. I was like, that is pure. I just, uh, because that guy, Randy Woodfield, he's still alive. And that drives me crazy. I mean, he's just wasting time all these years. If you can, look up Roger Kibbe. I don't know. Like, I don't know if he felt bad for what he did. Like, sometimes they go through some sort of, you know, change in there. I guess, okay, so the reason they wanted to, this Lou Ellen Burley, in 2011, because her death was so much further, the, all the other girls were 1986 or 1987. In 1977... Burley had left, as I said, her home for a job interview, but never returned. They used DNA to prove that it was Roger Kibbe that had strangled her. And it was. He raped them, would strangle them, cut off their hair to remove the duct tape before leaving the scene of the crime. And he got away with it for a while. I mean, he scared the shit out of people. That's that's a terrifying thing. Prostitutes were scared. People on I-5 were scared. And back then, there was nothing you could do if your car broke down. I mean, you had to either find a pay phone or somebody to help you. It was truly a different time. Cell phones have really... They've brought in a whole other onslaught of problems, but at least it's taken away that kind of worry. I'll tack this on. This I had read yesterday. I'll, all right, this I just found so horrific. I'm just going to go over this case, tack this on because that was so short. But it, it was a good one because I, I never knew that the I-5 Strangler and the killer were different. I, I never heard of the I-5 Strangler. There was a St. Louis, this is an entirely different murder. This was in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was of a, between an 8 and 11-year-old, which they theorized was a possible sex trafficker victim. In February 28, 1983, they had nicknamed her Hope, Precious Hope, or Little Jane Doe. There was looters who had entered an abandoned Victoria house. 5635 Clemens Avenue in St. Louis, Missouri. They discovered the headless body 
of a young African-American child in the basement. They noticed the body after lighting a cigarette. The body was naked except for a yellow sweater and her hands had been tied around in red and white nylon rope. They never found the head. These clothes that she has on are so filthy and disgusting. Oh my God, it's so sad. She had not gone through puberty yet. It's really, really a horrific story. They, She was not killed in a location because there was no traces of blood. The blood had been drained from her body elsewhere. They did some sort of test to determine that she had been killed within about five days of her discovery. God, it's her head had been severed cleanly by a large blade. She was between 8 and 11. She wore only a yellow long sleeve v-neck sweater, nail polish, red nail polish, and her head has never been found. Fingerprints, footprints, and DNA were successfully collected. There was no distinct marks except for evidence of spina bifida, which is, I believe, when your spine, obviously, it's like curled or curved. Damn, she had been about five, four ten to five six when she was alive. Such a sad story. I, I'm really crushed by that. And I had to just, because I never heard of that. I never heard our precious Hope St. Louis baby Jane Doe. Oh, just get through the murders on Wikipedia. It's unbelievable. Um, again, watch Forensic Files 2. It's on 10 o'clock on Sunday nights. HLN Network. It's I, I think they put it on um, after a while. They put it on to, what's that channel? HBO Max. So check that out. It's really, it's it's a great, it's just as good as Forensic Files, except... Peter Thomas, I do miss his voice, but Bill Camp is not a bad narrator. So check it out. This is Debbie Q with The Right Shoe, and I will see you next time with probably a more lengthy version. I want to do Rick James. I might do him next. I will, and at some point I will get to uh, Sharon Tate and all. I, I always wanted to do that particular one. Everyone's done them, but it's just they, they were like the biggest murder in our known time. So I feel compelled. That was one of the greatest books I ever read by Vincent Bigliosi, Helter Skelter. So I'll be back.